It is. It's, it's a great day, and we have a lot of fun with the Super Bowl. And, and man, I, I, I'm into it. I can't wait till tonight, and I really want the Eagles to win. But I'm going to tell you, every Sunday, what's in my heart is like, this is the Super Bowl right here. Really, it's, it's the game right here. And, and this is what counts for life in eternity. And, and I believe with all of my heart that God is definitely desiring to do something in your life today. We're in this series of judges, and uh, we're looking at uh, broken heroes. And, and God raised up men and women that were human. They had flaws. They were imperfect. And, and these were leaders, deliverers, saviors. And so what we see is, you know, the story of Israel. And we had the intro and set it up last week where Joshua passed off the scene. And we see the story of Israel their spiritual ups and downs and disobedience to the Lord, their struggles, they're hot, they're cold, they're lukewarm. As I said, they're kind of like spiritually bipolar. They're all over the place. And Judges describes this destructive cycle that we see even repeated in lives today. Verse 7 of chapter 3, So the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot their God. And they served the Baals and the Asherahs. Even the last verse of the book of Judges in chapter 21, verse 25, what a sad commentary. It says, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Very relevant to the day, the day in which we're living. So what we see is the fathers, the parents, they failed to teach the next generation to love God and, and to follow God and to know the Lord. As Deuteronomy chapter 6 instructed them, and as Quincy was just saying, we said last week, you know, this, this faith is a family matter. It's primarily our responsibility as parents to uh, teach this generation who the Lord is, how to love him, how to follow him. And I'm going to tell you, more than with our words, but uh, they're going to catch our example, our actions who this Lord is. So this destructive cycle of rebellion and then repression and then repentance and then restoration, it says they did not know the Lord, chapter 3, nor the works which he had done. We see this cycle. And God, the perfect father who is perfect in all of his ways, he comes and he brings, you know, a discipline and correction. But he said they did not know the Lord nor the mighty works which he had done. Unless we forget, our God is a mighty God. Nothing is too difficult for him. Nothing is impossible for him. If you're facing something this morning that seems and feels and looks impossible, I'm going to ask you a question, and if that's where you're at today, please respond. If you're facing something that seems impossible, raise your hand with me right now. Come on, we got some people there. It seems impossible. I want to encourage you today. The one who can do the impossible is here right now. He is the miracle worker. We're believing him today. Amen? Amen. So why did God allow these pockets of Canaanites in the promised land? Well, there there's several reasons. In one sense, the people didn't believe that God could drive them out. And also, and I want to put this in here, to test them, or we could say us, to see if they or we would believe God and to teach them or us to trust him to fight for them or to fight for us. 
One day, Victoria Pierce of Nashville opened her front door, and her dog raced in, yelping, covered in skunk spray. And he ran, and she chased him, and he ran to every room of the house, rubbing himself against every cushion, every piece of upholstered furniture, and the whole house was stinking with skunk spray and had to be contaminated. And I said that to say, as we look at the children of Israel, they were stinking. And the stench of sin was far greater than skunk spray. And as I say, they were stinking, some of us were too, right? The stench of sin. And so we look at Judges chapter 3, and we're going to look at what lessons we can learn about our spiritual struggles from a left-handed hero Deliverer, and that left hand is significant. God's hero, Deliverer, we see would come in weakness. Chapter 3, a little background here. Uh, the children of Israel, as we said, did evil once again, over and over. They were stinking, and so for eight years they were enslaved once again, and they were dominated. They cried out to God. They repented. God raised up a judge, a hero, and that Deliverer was Othniel. And once again, they obeyed God, and they experienced rest and peace and prosperity for 40 years. But then we get to verse 12 of chapter 3, and it says that the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. Say it with me, again. Come on, if we'd be honest with ourselves, how many's ever been on that cycle? I did it again. I'm never going to do that again. I'm never going to say that again. I'm never going to act like then, and I did it. Say it with me. Again and again and again and again. It gets to be an old song, an old story. And they came under the bondage of this evil king, Eglon. And then God, when the children of Israel had cried out to him in repentance, he raises up this left-handed deliverer for them. And I'm going to tell you right up front. Some of you may have never read this. I want you to read it. You're going to hear it again today, but read it this week. It's a strange story. It's a graphic story. It's a true story. And I want you to know it's meant to be a humorous story. It really is. Graphic, true, humorous. Like, how many found out that God does some things and uses people in situations that you think, no, oh, that's a little odd. That's a little strange. I didn't see that coming. And this is one of those times right here. So our hero is Ehud. He's a left-handed, and the theologians believe not just left-handed, but there was a disability that was taking place. And so how many lefties do we have this morning? I should say it this way. How many lefties do we have this morning? Keep your hand raised, lefties. Look at that. We got some lefties here today. All right, you're looking good. Well, left-handed people tell us that scissors can be awkward in your hand. You have to get left-handed golf clubs if you want to play golf. I've heard them say learning to write left-handed as a youngster, you're kind of smearing that ink across the page. Some lefties say, well, zippers can be a little challenging or awkward. But I found out there's some advantages for lefties. Did you know this? I didn't know this till this week. Lefties are more likely to be a genius. A greater chance 
of having an IQ over 140. How many lefties do we have here? You weren't a lefty two minutes ago. Yeah. Sports, I got to tell you, I always wanted to be a left-handed batter in baseball. You know, and they tell us in sports, you know, that softball, that lefty, their movements can throw the other defenders off, you know, how to guard them, how, how, how the opponents aren't used to those movements. I didn't know this, and they don't know why, but lefties can see better underwater. How many knew that? I never knew that. I didn't know that. Yeah. Some famous lefties, Leonardo da Vinci, Albert Einstein, Barack Obama, Mark Twain, Babe Ruth, Jimi Hendrix, Prince William, Ned Flanders from The Simpsons, his neighbor who owns the Leftorium store. Lefties. Now, throughout history, left-handedness has been considered a weakness. I even think of my dad. He died three years ago at 93. He was a natural left-hander, but his parents made him become a right-hander, so he kind of did things both ways. It has been considered a weakness. The Latin word for left is sinister, which means evil. The French word, root word for left, can mean awkward. Even our English word comes from an old English word, which means weak. Ehud. A left-handed deliverer. God chose him. That's the thing you need to hear right now. God chose him. God chose him. It's believed that his right hand was probably deformed, didn't fully develop in some way, and he was considered partially disabled. That's the hero of the story. And we see this destructive cycle taking place, but God raises him up. God sees him just the way he is, and God says, I'm going to use you the way you are. And Paul said, what in our weakness he is made strong, hallelujah. My grace is all you need. Thank you, Lord. My grace is all you need. I'm going to be strong in your weakness. And so um, what we see taking place, this destructive cycle in Judges, how many's noticed you're following Christ, you're born again, you're in the kingdom of God, you're in Christ. How many's noticed all your problems haven't gone away? How many's noticed that at times you still struggle with sin? Come on, only a couple of you here? I'm raising my hand. <laughs> yeah. You ever thought, you know, why, why isn't the sin thing just taken away? Why aren't the problems just taken away? I'm born again. I'm saved. Why, when we get saved, doesn't he just take us right to heaven? Wouldn't that be great? You know, I'm saved. I'm born again. I'm, on the, I'm going to heaven right now. Woo, this is good. But it doesn't seem to work that way. You know, what's up with that? He wants to teach you some things. He wants us to learn to walk by faith, live by faith in this life, rely on his grace, not our flesh. He wants us to share Christ with people. People need to know who Jesus is, and they're not going to know unless we tell them. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. So Apostle Paul said that God's going to leave some trials in our weakness in our lives to keep us humble. So the story in Judges is in part to teach us how to fight the fight of faith. And so I want to read some verses out of chapter 3. So verse 12 and 15 and 18, 
And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Now, here's where it's going to get a little weird. But when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them. Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man, by him the children of Israel sent tribute to King Eglon, king of Moab. We're taking you some money, some treasures. Now Ehud made himself a dagger. It was double-edged and a cubit in length and fastened under his clothes in his right thigh. And when he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. So Ehud came to him. Now he was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. Then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. So he arose from his seat. Even the hilt. You see what he says, he pulled out his dagger. King Eglon didn't see it coming. And he plunges it in to King Eglon. And it says, and after the blade, and the fat closed around the blade, for he did not draw the dagger out of his belly, and his entrails came out. When he had gone out, Eglon's servants came to look, and to their surprise, the doors of the upper room were locked, so they said, he is probably attending to his needs in the cool chamber. He's going to the bathroom. That's what they thought he was doing. We better not bother the king. And I don't think I want to go in there if that's what's taking place. So they waited till they were embarrassed and still had not opened the doors of the upper room. Therefore, they took the key, opened the doors, and there was their master falling dead on the floor. So Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest for 80 years. So that's a synopsis of the story. What we see is, Deliverance comes through the most unexpected person. What you want to see here is he goes by himself. He goes to the king's chamber. He pays the tribute to the king, and the king didn't see it coming. Deliverance comes from the most unexpected person. And we look at this, the book of Judges, and the whole of God's word points us to Jesus Christ. Amen? An unlikely Savior. Isaiah the prophet says in chapter 53, verse 2 and 3, nothing in his appearance that would attract us to him. He was despised and rejected by men. In the natural, you have never looked at Jesus and thought, there he is. I'm positive. That is the Messiah. That is the Savior. Yes, that's him. No doubt about it. There was just nothing about him that attracted in the natural. He was average looking. He was average height. There was nothing commanding about his looks. He was Jesus. But there's a parallel here. Ehud went in all alone to the evil king. Jesus was all alone hanging on the cross. All alone paying for your sin and my sin. And yet, His commanding victory was a total surprise to the host of heaven, to the angels of heaven. His commanding victory at the cross was a total surprise to Satan 
and his demons of hell. And even to Jesus' disciples, they didn't see it coming. And the message of the cross is a stumbling block to so many because it is so simple. They didn't see it coming. The Romans crucified Jesus. He was dead. The Jewish religious leaders thought they had killed him. But when they closed the door of death on Jesus, he pulled out the resurrection dagger and he stabbed death. Praise God, Jesus is alive. Hallelujah. When we need salvation from our sins, it's Jesus. He's the only one. We're going to need deliverance at times in this life and salvation from our struggles and trials. Judges tells us God is going to send his salvation. He's going to send his salvation and deliverance in a way nobody's expecting and most people would miss it. The apostle Paul, as I just said in 1 Corinthians 1, 23, Jesus was a stumbling block both to the Jews and to the Greeks because he did not meet their expectations. And you may be here this morning thinking, it can't be. This Jesus isn't who he says he is. I want to tell you, get ready. You may not see it coming, but he's going to show up in your life when you least expect it. Amen? The Jews were looking for a warrior king to overthrow Rome. The Greeks were looking for a philosopher king who would enlighten and educate the world. And the thing is... The bottom line is this. Yeah, there's suffering in this world, but the greatest need is that we're separated from God, and Jesus can bring us to God the Father. I keep saying this over and over again, but the whole of the Bible points to Jesus. In his first coming, he fulfilled over 300 Old Testament prophecies. I want you to know, whatever you're struggling with right now, and you, some of you say, man, I'm in a situation that seems impossible. I need a miracle. I'm struggling with something. Whatever you are struggling with right now, God is on the way. He's bringing deliverance. He's bringing salvation. It's on the way. Don't miss it. Keep looking for it. Keep believing for it. You're getting tired. You're getting weary. It seems like it's been going on a long time. How many say, yeah, that's the way it is? Don't miss it. Say it with me. Don't miss it. Believe for it. Be ready. God's showing up. He hasn't forsaken you. God's with you right now. God saves us right now through our weakness, the weakness of faith. We see Israel's in captivity. They need salvation. This is every person. We know we see, need some kind of salvation. When we were in our sin, we knew something was wrong. We needed something. How, how many knew when you were just out there in sin, man, there's something wrong here. I need something. This can't be all there is. This can't be right. Come on, there, there has to be. And so we look for salvation. We you know we need some kind of salvation, so we try to save ourselves. Religious people, well, what do we try to do? Earn salvation. I'm going to be good enough. I'm going to be morally strong. I'm going to earn God's blessing. I'm just going to do better. I'm just going to please God. I'm just going to be a, a, a better person. And so we start doing a lot of good things. I'm going to do good over here. I'm going to do good over here. I'm going to do good over here. And before we know it, we're just doing a lot of do, 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 do. And pretty soon it's just do, do. That's all it is. Irreligious people try to find salvation outside of God. 
If I'm rich enough, I'm going to be happy, safe, secure, and comfortable. I'm going to be a good spouse. I'll just be a good father. I'll just be a good mother. I'll be a good person. And the thing is, I'll really never be good enough because I can never be good enough. I'm still going to fall short. Some people think if I just find the right person to love and live life with, and then I'm not going to have this void in my life any longer. And all of these are ways that we search for salvation, for freedom from the bondage and fertility of dissatisfaction and meaninglessness. This is why Jesus calls us to come to him. He says, I want to pour my love and I'm going to pour my life into you today. So God's salvation is different. It's free. Say it with me, free. Free gift. I can't earn it. I can't be good enough for it. It's a free gift. Philippians chapter 3. What do we see there? What do we see? Though I also, this is Paul. He said, I could brag, but might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. He said, I was religious. I was the poster boy for religion. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ, yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I now count them as rubbish of what he really said in the original Greek right there. I count all these things as, and I'm not just making it up, doo-doo. That's our takeaway word. No, it isn't. (laughs) But that's what he said. That I may be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Say it with me, faith. 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 See, God's help, God's salvation, God's deliverance, God's victory is a gift. I want to ask you, can you this morning give up all your efforts of trying to earn salvation, trying to please God, trying to be good enough? And can you receive God's free gift today and say, here I am, Lord. I've tried this, that, and the other thing. I'm just going to surrender to you right now. I'm going to receive the gift that you have for me. Maybe you're born again, but you're working hard and you find yourself working hard. I've got to get out of this situation. I've got to find a solution to this situation. I've got to make it better. And maybe it's just time that you just surrender to the Lord and let God do what only God can do. And let his deliverance come into your life. God's free gift of salvation. Is that a wonderful word, free gift? May we never take that for granted. John 3, 16. May we never forget, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. He gave. And because he gave, I can get and I can receive. And then we see God mocks those who oppose him. 
As I said in Jewish history and God's word, this is a true humorous story about Ehud, an unlikely broken hero, and the evil, evil, very, very, very fat king Eglon. This was told as a joke in Jewish history. It was mocking King Eglon. Yes, it's inappropriate. Yes, it is not PC humor. And yes, it's very, very funny. Come on. Some of you are afraid of that. This is God's word. I'm not adding to it. I'm not taking away. This was meant to be funny. Ehud didn't, Eglon didn't see it coming. I'm paying tribute. He says, God has a message for you. He sends away his attendants. They lock the door. Ehud pulls out his dagger from under his garment, left-handed. He didn't see that move coming. He plunges it into the very, 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 say it with me, very, fat gut. Well, I didn't expect you to say that, but that's okay. (laughs) Of Eglon. It's all the way into the handle. Some versions say a foot long. Others say it could have been 18 inches long. All the way in. When he finally gets his hand out, <laughs> he only has one good hand. What am I? <laughs> it stays in there. Everything else is coming out. Everything else is coming out. Everything is coming out. He escapes. So how do you get out of there? I'm going to tell you how he got out of there. He escaped through the latrine. That's how he got out of there. You've seen castles and towers. Have you seen those rooms that stick out from the tower? What do you think those are? That's the king's bathroom. Yeah. They would sit on that throne, and there was a chute, went all the way down that tower, A lot of times there's a moat around the castle, and that stuff went into the moat. That's why when the invading armies were coming, that moat, like, (laughs) you first. You, go ahead, yeah. But, and that's where he escaped. He went down that chute. He went into that water, if there was water. But he went across that. He got the men together. Come follow me. I want to tell you what, they went. And in the power of the Lord, they defeated 12,000 mighty strong men of the Moabites. There was victory that day. Hallelujah. Yes, it was inappropriate. It doesn't sound good, but there was a victory. And what comes to mind is when I, when I thought of this, Ehud, and I was reading this, you know, the last so many weeks and thinking about it, what came to mind was this, when I looked at this left-handed hero, how many remember the old cartoon Popeye? He came to mind. So I think he's like a cross between Popeye and Mel Gibson and Braveheart, William Wallace. I can stand while I can stand so I can't stand anymore. Enough is enough, something has to be done. God put his hand upon him, anointed him, and he did what no other man would do. I want you to see his genuine faith grow stronger in the face, face of opposition. Ehud said something has to be done. 
He was a leader. His courage was fueled by his faith. Leadership principle that we see here is this. When a leader has resolved, I said last week God has called us to be leaders, influence for God and for good in our culture and society. So here's the leadership principle right here. When a leader has resolved, resources will follow. Abilities will follow. Know-how will follow. People will follow. Finances will follow. Those that mock God have a day where it looks like they're on top and they're winning and it looks like they are in charge. And how many's ever felt like, well, the bad is winning and evil is winning and evil is in charge and Satan's on top and Satan seems to be winning this thing. Come on, sometimes we think that, don't we? But there's going to be a day. There's going to be a day. God is working history. God is working, somebody said, his story. His agenda, his will, that his will will be accomplished. His name will be glorified. And those that oppose the Lord our God, they'll be like the grass, then the fade and the flowers that wither. Nothing and no one can stand against the Lord our God. And one day we're going to retell our stories of suffering with laughter and joy. Get ready. Come on. Tell your neighbor, get ready to laugh. Maybe not right now, but someday soon. Someday we're going to retell our stories with laughter and joy. Here in Judges, their pain was real. Their oppression was real. They were bitter and painful 18 years. They were in subjection under the rule of the evil king Eglon and the Moabites. But we see here in chapter 3, they're telling their story with laughter. They're looking back on this painful chapter in their lives, and they recast it in the color of joy. And your pain is real. What you're going through is real right now. I don't want to minimize that at all. But one day, one day, you're going to tell it without tears. The psalmist tells us in chapter 30, verse 5, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Get ready. Deliverance is coming. Healing is coming. Miracles are coming. It's nighttime right now, but morning is on the way. Morning is on the way. It's nighttime right now. You can't see in the darkness, but morning is on the way. And we're going to tell this story one day without tears. We're going to laugh about it in Jesus' name. Amen. I would like my friend right now to come. And he's been with us several times, uh, Evangelist Keith uh, Mitchell and his wife, Gail. And um, they visit family. They attend church. He, he preached here uh, last year. And... Um, He's been traveling the world, and I want him to just take real brief here, a couple of minutes, and just share some things you see God doing in people's lives. And I want you just to encourage us with that. I would love to. It's always good to be here in uh, Morningstar and Eagle Country, right? So, uh, and, uh, you know, I just thought that that was an encouraging word for you as maybe you go through a difficult Super Bowl. Just kidding, John. <laughs> Uh, I'm actually pulling for the Eagles. My dad, who passed away a year ago, was a huge Eagles fan. So Gail and I, I'm an evangelist, um, least likely of candidates. I'm worse than a left-handed guy. I was a, the only reason I'm not the chiefs of sinners because Paul already was, so I could get in under him. 
Uh, but we all have this calling on our lives. You've been called from your mother's womb, Galatians 1.15. Saul the terrorist becomes Paul the apostle. Amen. And I get to travel all over the world and preach the gospel. On our last trip, uh, we left November 10th to fly from DFW. We live in Texas. I'm not a Cowboys fan. Don't stone me. All right. But at any rate, we left from DFW. We flew to London. From London, we went to Birmingham, England. From Birmingham, we went to Manchester. From Manchester to Liverpool. Then back to Manchester. Then to Zurich. From Zurich to Frankfurt. Frankfurt to Salsam Necker. Salsam Necker to Boblingen. Boblingen to Frankfurt. And then back to DFW. That was our trip. So we're going from the 10th of November to the 20th, but I saw some of the most incredible things on this trip that absolutely just make me love Jesus even more. Because if God can use a wretch like me, man, he'll do it with any one of us. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. There was a man that came up after one of the messages I was preaching. His name was Robert. Robert had lost both of his legs in the Iraq War. One of his friends stepped on a landmine and it blew backwards. His friend lost a finger, he lost both legs. They told him he only had a 1% chance to live. But isn't that the gospel? Jesus left the 99 to get the 1 and that message got him saved. And he came up for prayer and I said, how can I pray for you? He said, my stumps, they hurt all the time. The first time I prayed, he felt no change. The second time I prayed, all the pain left. I saw him two or three days later. I did, did a bunch of churches there, the English church, the Iranian church, the Brazilian church. My friends planted over 22 churches. He said there's no more pain. And this is what I Amen. told him. Amen. One day, even if you'd have got brand new legs, you're going to lay that body down into a casket because flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That's right. Okay, you got to put it off. we got to be clothed with a new body. And one day you'll run those streets of gold. And I said, do you know what I would do if I were you? I would get my hands on every sick person I could and pray for them. And he looked at me with a question in his eyes. And I said, do you know why? Because you honor the word above your temporary circumstance. That's good. And as you begin to pray for people, it's like slapping the devil in his face. And God's going to use you to see amazing miracles. Amen. And you're going to say, oh, I might have not have these now, but one day I'm going to run the streets. Of Amen. I saw so many Muslims come to Christ. When I speak at the Iranian churches, I always preach the message, who do men say that I am? In the Quran, it says that God has no son, and if you believe that God has a son, you're condemned to hell. But John 3.16, you quoted earlier, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, and unless we believe, we'll perish, but those who believe won't. And I have seen the Spirit of God move. In fact, my friend Sabah's church, one-third of the church stood up and come forward for salvation, and I thought, did they not understand the message? And she says, Keith, these are refugees that I invite to church. And all of those people were unbelievers until that day. Amen. Amen. Okay? Amen. So I just want to encourage you today. I could tell you so many stories. I don't have time. But I just want to stir you up. My ministry is Keith Mitzel Ministries. You can look it up if you like. I don't care whether you sow into it. You don't sow into it. But we are business people. I do not need your money. Any money that you would choose to sow in will go to support refugees, people in Iran. Right now, we're trying to get, is it okay to share this? Yeah. We're trying to get a guy out of Turkey that was born disabled and he was put into prison. Okay? And he became a Christian. His parents disowned him because they thought it was Allah's judgment on him. And he became a Christian, was in prison for preaching the gospel. They want to deport him. 
And if he goes back to Iran, there's a good chance that he may be put in prison or put to death. Okay, so I'm going to, listen to me, I'm going to pay the cost. But I'm just telling you, those are the things we do. For $17,000, we can get him into Canada, okay, because Canada will take him if he has enough money. One last thing I want to share with you. I know we get confused about all the immigrants that are coming in from all these other countries, especially in the U.K., but we used to send missionaries to their countries. And as Christians, I want you to know, don't put your hope and faith in government. Put it in the God because he blesses those that give to the poor. And now they have come into our churches and our communities. And now the mission field has come to us. And I just want to stir you up to raise you up to realize that you have the hope that every one of those people need. God bless you. Thanks for letting me share. Amen. No, take it. Thank you. Amen. Amen. So God's answer, his resolution for our own pain will make the oppression one day seem trivial. And last but not least, in God's kingdom, availability is more important than ability. This Ehud was an unlikely hero, but he's willing to be used by the spirit of God. God advances his kingdom, not through our strength, but our willingness, for it's not by might, the prophet Zechariah says, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's by the spirit of God. So our response needs to be, God wants to use you. God wants to use you. God can use you. God can use you. Yeah, God can use you and you and you and you. How many get the picture God can use all of us? What's our response? Yes, Lord. Say it with me right now. Yes, Lord. It's not my ability. It's availability. Yes, Lord. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus taught his disciples that he could do more <laughs> in just a few minutes than they could do in themselves for a lifetime or we could do in ourselves for a lifetime. Man, you look at that. John chapter 6. This is recorded in all four Gospels. Jesus feeds the 5,000, actually 20,000 probably. Who does he do that through? He does it through five loaves, two fish, but through people. What we give to him, he blesses, puts it back in our hands, and we have to give it away. What's in your hand today? Give it away, and it will multiply. Give it away, and God will multiply that. What's in your hand today? We go to Acts chapter 8, and you look in Acts chapter 8, and, and we see Philip, and he goes to Samaria. And, and Jews and the Samaritans hated each other. They would never be together, seen together, talked together. The Jews yeah, and the Samaritans were half Jews, but he goes, and what we see here, the point is this. He preaches the gospel like Keith's talking about, and they get saved. God uses him to perform miracles, and he casts out demons, and the paralyzed are walking again, and there is a revival in Samaria. I want you to see today that God wants and can use us, his church, and you are flawed, and I am flawed, and I don't have all the talent and all the ability, and, and, but God says, you're my church, and I'm going to use you. How many ever thought they couldn't be used before? Let's be honest. Okay, I'm going to ask you another question. How many valedictorians do we have here today? 
How many valedictorians? You were a valedictorian when you were in school. Isn't that something? I thought we'd have maybe one here today or two here today. No valedictorians. We have one. Good for you. La-di-da. No. <laughs> Woo. No. No, that's great. Congratulations. But one out of all of us, what does that tell me? God's using everybody if we'll just say yes. He's using everybody if we'll just say yes. Man, I, I thought about Ehud could have said, I don't think you're talking to me, God. Come on, God, look at me. You really, you're going to use me? Do you know what you're doing, God? And we do that sometimes. We have the audacity to ask God, does he really know what he's doing? Do you know what you're doing, God? You really want to use me? But he's calling us because I think, as Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, it says, Jesus had compassion on the people because they were confused and helpless like a sheep without a shepherd. He's calling us to minister in truth and grace and mercy. And I believe he's calling us to minister also in miracles. I'm just going to close it right here. Daniel 11:32. But the people who know their God shall be strong. And they're going to do great and mighty things, exploits for him. For the people who are valedictorians, for the people who have doctor's degree, for the people who have master's degree, and all those things are good and well and needed. But the word doesn't say that, does it? Ehud didn't have any of those things. But the people who know God, the people who know God, The people who know God are going to push back the kingdom of darkness. The people that know God are going to be part of a revival. The people that know God are going to see people come into the kingdom. The people that know their God are going to be used in miracles and signs and wonders. The people that know their God are going to be mighty in the Lord. Hallelujah. Who know their Lord. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand with me. I've gone a little bit longer here. That's why I like that song that came out some time ago. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody that saved my soul. I want you to know something. The thing is, nobody's with Jesus become somebody's. Just tell somebody. Just tell somebody. See, this story isn't just some quaint, odd, strange, graphic humor story. I believe it's a story for us to see who God is and what he can do if we'll just say yes to the Lord. Somebody's going to ask us right now. We're going to join the worship team. We're going to sing this song. After this song, I want you to hear the words, sing the words. Then I'm going to come back. I'm going to ask you to come. If you'd like prayer, we're going to pray. And we're going to experience who God is and what he can do.